Chapter sixty of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter sixty. And finally, Calverly came up along the track and stopped at the station. The place shocked Ma'am by its shabbiness and its pettiness. When she left it, she had never seen a city, and she was afraid of her home town. Now her eyes were acquainted with the Cyclopean architecture of New York, the gardened mansions of Pasadena, and the maelstrom streets of Chicago. Yet she was as shy before the crowds that waited for her as they of her. The mayor had come down to give her welcome. He was as shabby as the sheriff in a western movie, but he was the village's best, and he used his largest words in a little speech. As soon as he could push through the mob of steadened children that devoured Mem and her mother, the manager of the Calverly Capital, with its capacity of two hundred, brushed the mayor aside and claimed Mrs. Steddon and his prize. He had a carriage waiting for her, and a room at the hotel in case the parsonage was overcrowded. Dr. Steddon grew Isaiah as he stormed back. My daughter stays in her own home. This brought Mem snuggling to his elbow, and from that sanctuary she greeted her old Sunday school teacher, several of the public school teachers, an old negro janitor a number of young men and women who called her by her first name two or three of the girls had been belles of the town and she had looked on them with awe for their beauty their fine clothes and their fast reputations now they seemed startlingly dubby gawky silly and now the awe was theirs mem noted that her own sisters were dubbier gawkier sillier still except gladys who had matured amazingly and in whose eyes and mouth and ill-furbished roundnesses mem's experience saw a terrifying latent voluptuousness and a capacity for fierce emotions the first resolve mem made was to buy her sister's clothes worthy of them and of her own high rank just as she was stepping into a waiting automobile dr brethrick came along happened by with a very badly acted pretense of surprise mem told him that she wanted to come over and have him look at her throat she coughed for conviction's sake and he warned her that there was a lot of flu going about the car moved off and she felt as if she were passing through a wooden toy town her father's church looked about to fall over it was not half so big as she remembered it and dismally in need of paint and the home was it possible that the old fence was so near the porch and the porch so small once it had been a grot of romantic gloom deep and fatal enough to bring about her damnation with a sudden stab she remembered elwood farnaby and the far-off girl that he had loved too madly well in that moonlit embrasure how little and pitiful that mem had been there was a toyish unimportance in her very fall the debacle of a marionette world but elwood farnaby was great by virtue of his absence and his death he was a hero now with romeo and leander and abelard and the other geniuses of passion whose shadows had grown gigantically long in the sunset of a tragic punishment for their ardors she stumbled as she mounted the steps and there was a misery in her breast then the house opened its door and took her in into its lilliputian hall and stairway she laid off her hat and gloves in the parlor with the dining-room alongside it was like a caricature of homeliness. Just such a set had been rejected at the studio because it was a burlesque on such a home. 
wonderment at the hallucinations of her youth and gratitude even for the disaster that had hurled her out of the jail filled her heart she never acted more desperately than in her mimicry of the emotions of rapture at her coming home she insisted on helping to get the midday dinner gladys protested but mem was frantic for something to keep her hands busy and for little things to talk about lest her dismay at the humbleness of her beginnings insult the poor wretches who had known no better her mother was having a similar battle though the return was easier since she had never gone so far afield at the dinner-table the old preacher's humble grace for the bounty of the lord saddened mem again the poor old dear had suffered every hardship and known nothing of luxury yet he was grateful for bounty after the table was cleared and the dishes washed and put away mem escaped on the pretext of a visit to the doctor she was waylaid by old friends on the walks and hailed from all the porches there was a little condescension in the manner of a few matrons and a few embittered bells but mem knew enough to take this as the unwitting tribute of envy she found dr and mrs bretherick waiting for her the doctor got rid of his wife and closed the door on mem then he flung up his hands and cried well he shook his shaggy pole and mumbled a wide grin and repeated half a dozen wells of varied meaning before he exclaimed well if i'm not a success as an author manager and producer of a one talent show me one our little continuity has certainly worked out beyond the fondest dreams of author and star his star took less pride in it than he somehow mem drew humiliation from the loneliness of her origin instead of pride this room had seen her first confession of guilt in this room elwood farnaby had made his last battle for life a horrifying thought came to mem if he had not died she would have become his wife and the mother of his premature child she would have been a laughing-stock material for ugly whispers about the village and she would have been the shabbiest of wives even here she would never have known fame or ease or wealth what a scenario it would make she thought in spite of her wrath against herself for harboring such an infamous thought but she could not deny her mind to it suppose a story were written around her life a girl in her plight has a choice of two careers in one her lover lives makes her the partner of his humble obscurity and poverty and she becomes a shabby life-broken dowd in the other her lover dies and she goes on alone to wealth beauty and the heights of splendor which would she choose the very hesitation was murderous yet how would she choose would she kill her lover or let him live a vampire to destroy her soul she felt a compulsion to penance and a humbling of herself at the grave of her thwarted husband she was afraid to walk through the streets to the cemetery and she asked the doctor to drive her thither in the little car he now affected he consented and rose to lead the way she checked him and took out her purse i want to give you the installment i forgot of the conscience money please get it to papa as soon as you can and here's a little extra the doctor took the bills with a curious smile she seemed to feel his sardonic perplexity as she mused aloud along a well-thought path if i hadn't been a fallen woman i couldn't have saved papa's church from ruin how do you explain it what's the right and wrong of it all the old doctor shook his head i'm no longer fool enough honey to try to explain anything that happens to us here 
i don't even wonder about what's going to happen to us hereafter if anything as for right and wrong huh, i can't tell em apart when some terrible calamity comes your father says it is god's will he moves in a mysterious way well i let it go at that for good luck too i neither thank nor blame anybody for anything and i don't pray to anybody to make it come out the way i want it according to one line of thinking your misstep was the divine plan according to another good can never come out of evil of course we know it does every day and evil out of good the only folks who know things know em because they think that being pig-headed is being knowing it's too much for the wise ones so let's let it alone and make the best of what comes we're only human after all so let's be as human as we can and i guess that's about as divine as we'll ever get down here he led her out to his woeful little tin wagon and they went larruping through the streets out into the cemetery that at least had increased in population and some new monuments brightened it set like paperweights to hold down poor bodies that the wind might else blow away a few mourners were moving about planting flowers clipping grass lifting away old scraps of paper or just brooding over what the earth had gathered back unto itself they looked up startled and offended at the profaning clatter of dr bretherick's car some of them mem recognized one or two women whose grief was so old that it was almost comfortable waved to her she had a sudden fear that if she paused to kneel at elwood's mound and worship there she would start a wonder that intuition would change to ugly surmise the scandal had died before its birth like the stillborn child it would do mem little harm for she had been the victim of much harsh talk and was always under that cloud of suspicion that envelops all stage people in the eyes of the conventional but elwood in his grave ought to be spared from such a resurrection the tongues of the busybodies must not dig him up and play the ghoul with him in a panic of indecision as to her true duty she recognized old mrs farnaby mourning by a little hillock swaying near her was her husband old fall-down farnaby still somehow capable of intoxication the doctor knew better than to pause at all and mem's only right of atonement was a glance of remorseful agony cast toward elwood's resting-place it showed her that the founder of her fortunes was honored only by a wooden headboard already warped and sidelong one last favor she mumbled to dr bretherick get a decent tombstone for the poor boy and let me pay for it all right honey said the doctor and the car jangled out of the gates again into the secular road and that was that end of chapter sixty recording by deanna beauvais